0: Revelation chapter 20, I'm stalling because my notes ain't coming up, (laughs) we really need some internet out here people. Some Wi Fi. Hey, thank you, Jesus. There it is. Because I know I have a lot of scripture this morning. We'd have been here till dinner time if I'd had to look them all up. <laughs> all righty. So, I'm 52 years old, and I've never been inside of a courtroom. But for some odd reason, for some odd reason, I have started watching Judge Judy. I know I've told some of you that. And, and I mean, I don't just watch a little bit. I get on these hour-long binges. I mean, now I can watch the past 20 years of Judge Judy. And I, I, I mean, there's just something fascinating, something very satisfying about seeing a five-foot-one, 78-year-old woman telling a woman or a man that they're a moron. There's just something satisfying about that. It's just fascinating to me that two people can walk into the courtroom, raise their right hand and swear to tell the truth, and then one or both of them just completely lie through their teeth. And it is Judge Judy's job to figure out who's telling the truth and who's lying. (laughs) That just blows my mind. And she is a master she is a master at causing litigants to unwittingly confess. Have no idea what just happened. And then she'll turn over and she'll look at Bird, who's the, the bailiff. She'll look at Bird and she'll be like, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> and they're over there going, what just happened? <laughs> Judgment for the plaintiff. I just like, she is just a master at it. She, it I just, I absolutely love watching her. Um, now today we're going to look at a court scene like none other. There will be no lawyers, only losers. If you're standing in this in this courtroom you are guilty and everyone knows it. A judge and no jury. No debate over guilt or innocence, an indictment, and no defense. The evidence will be presented with no rebuttal or cross-examination. The maximum sentence will be rendered with no chance of appeal or parole. A court scene like never before. And the last words that they will ever hear is the judge saying, guilty, depart from me, I never knew you. (laughs) You know, from the very beginning, Satan has tried to convince mankind that this day of judgment will never come. From the very beginning, he has tried to convince mankind that this judgment does not exist. So men and women can live as they please without fear of accountability or punishment for the lives that they have chosen. In Genesis 3, 4, Satan told Eve, you surely will not die. And men have believed that lie ever since. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works." So this scene that we have just looked at, this scene that we just read, will take place at the end of the millennium. At the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth, this great white throne judgment will take place. So the first thing that John saw was a great white throne. Almost 50 times in Revelation the throne is mentioned or a throne is mentioned almost 50 times, but none like this one. It says this one is great, great in that it's greater than any other throne that we've seen up to this point. Great because of its size, great because of its significance, great because of its authority. Great like no other throne up to this point. White because of its purity. White because of its holiness. White because of its justice. And all who stand before it will truly be judged with equity. Truly be judged according to their deeds. The judge will know everything. The judge will know every thought, every deed, everything that this person has ever been a part of. Psalms 9 and verse 7 and 8 says, The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and he judges the people with equity. And this is how Daniel saw this scene that John sees here. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 through 10, Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, that's speaking of Jehovah, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended to him. Thousands of thousands stood before him. Sorry, I touched this and it went crazy on me. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated And the books were opened. It's quite a vision Daniel had. We see the simplicity side of it from John. John just tells us that there was a great throne before him. A great white throne. Now Jesus described this as the resurrection of judgment in John chapter 5 and verse 29. Paul said this about this day in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So Paul told those that were rebellious against the things of God, he said, you are storing up wrath for yourself. Everything that you do is kept very clearly accountable, and you will one day pay for that. And then the next thing is, as John saw this, this great white throne, then he saw he who sat upon it. Greater than the throne is him who sat upon it. Now... Several times we have seen the one sitting on the throne. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 10, it says, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And verse 19 and verse 4 says, And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down, and they worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen and Alleluia. And then also we see that Jesus will share the throne. And he promised this in Revelations chapter 3 and verse 21. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcome and I sat with my father on his throne. Now in Jesus's or, or in John's new vision, in John's vision of the new heaven and the new earth, he saw the throne of God and the lamb in chapter 22 verses 1 and also again in verse 3. And although the Father and the Son share the throne, it is Yeshua Jesus who will judge sinners John 5:22 says in addition the father judges no one instead he has given the son absolute authority to judge John 5:26 and 27 says for as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son also to have life in himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man so we see in John chapter 5 26 and 7 he says the reason that Jehovah father has given it to the son to judge is because he was a man because he is no he is better to judge mankind because he came and he lived as a man and so he understands the life of a man in Acts chapter 10 in Acts chapter 10 verse 42 Peter said this He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead speaking of Jesus And Paul warned the pagans in Athens in Acts 17:31 he says this for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He said he has proven that he is the Son of God because he raised him from the dead, and he will be the one who will judge. And then again, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.1, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom. So I think it's pretty clear who he is who sets up on the throne. It's pretty clear who the judge is that sets up on the great white throne. Now the second part, the next part of uh, verse 11 says, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now, when I got to this point, when I read that, the first thing I thought, I thought, what does that mean? What does it mean that heaven and earth fled away, and there was no place found for them? And it sent me into a study. It sent me into uh, trying to find out what in the world that meant. Because when I read that, it just didn't make sense to me. What does it mean, heaven and earth fled away? You know, my whole Christian life, I mean, from the very beginning, from, from the earliest times that I remember, I have always been taught that the new heaven and the new earth, which is the description that should give us a clue, are not really new, that all they are is cleansed by fire and refurbished. And I know that some of you, I'm sure, have heard the same thing, that you've heard over your Christian life that the new heaven and the new earth was nothing but the same old earth that was cleansed by fire and refurbished and brought back to anew. But after this study, I'm just convinced that's not the case. And I anytime I get into a study like this and I find something that has all I've always heard this my whole Christian life I really struggle with it and I get in and I start to dig in and try to figure out what it is that it says I believe that what we see here what is being described here in Revelation 20:11 is uncreation Jehovah spoke it into creation and then he speaks it into uncreation. And for those of you who believe otherwise, bear with me. Give me a chance. Open up and just listen to what I have to say. Let me, let me pour this out to you and see if you might not see what I'm talking about. Just let down your defenses for just a few minutes and hear what Scripture has to say. Because it doesn't matter what I think. The question is, what does Scripture say? So, you see, the first reason I believe that the earth must be destroyed because it has been completely tainted with sin. And nothing tainted with sin will be allowed to exist in the eternal state. Innocent blood has been soaked into the soil. Sexual perversion of all kinds and idolatry is world wide pandemic. It's the real worldwide pandemic. So this is my question to you. For those of you who who disagree with what I'm saying, and I'm okay with that because I believe that for years, how many clear scriptures of total destruction would it take to convince you otherwise? One, if I could find another verse that told you and spoke of, of, a new heaven and a new earth, not a, a refurbished, not a, a restored. As I mentioned in, in chapter 21 and verse 1, John saw a new heaven and a new earth. Second Peter 3.13 says this, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, the second part of Revelation 21, 1, it says this. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. So if you have a first heaven and you have a first earth, that is an indication that there is a second heaven and a second earth. So, is three verses enough? Matthew 5, 18 says... For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Luke 21, 33 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 says, he also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 and 27 says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. He said, I will shake the heavens, I will shake the earth, and that which can be shaken I will remove. That is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Okay, so, for anybody who, who's keeping score here, that's up to seven verses. Seven verses that we have seen a clear indication that it speaks of a new heaven, a new earth. It speaks of that which can be shaken, will be taken out and destroyed But wait a minute, that's all in the Second Testament. What does the First Testament have to say about it? Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. He says, not only will I create a new heaven and a new earth, you won't even remember the old heaven, and you won't remember the old earth. You know, many times people think or ask, well, will I remember the things that happened upon the earth? Will I remember that? And right here we see in, in, in Isaiah, he says, you'll not even remember the things of this world because the memories of that time is tainted with sin. Also, Isaiah 66 and verse 22, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, you hear that? For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith Jehovah, so shall your seed and your name remain. Psalm 102, verse 25 and 26. In the beginning you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remained. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them. When he says change, it's like you took off an old shirt and put on a new one. You changed the clothing. And Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 6 says, Raise your eyes to the sky and then look to the earth beneath. For the sky will vanish like smoke. And the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in the same way. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not fail. So for anybody who was keeping score, that was 11 verses. 11 verses that I believe teach very clearly Not that God is going to refurbish the earth that we are upon, but that he is going to destroy the earth that we are upon Isaiah 34 4 says this all the stars in the sky will be dissolved And the heavens rolled up like a scroll all the starry hosts will fall Like withered leaves from the vine like shriveled figs from a fig tree Now listen to how Peter describes this uncreation event 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 10 through 13 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief The heavens will disappear with a roar The elements will be destroyed by fire And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, this is the interesting thing. The word that is translated elements here refers to the very basic building blocks matter, atomic and subatomic particles, protons, neutrons, electrons, and photons, etc. And those things that we don't even know about. So it says the elements, now the word that's translated destroyed means to be dissolved. So it says the very basics of this creation, the very basics of what God created, he will uncreate it by melting it and destroying it. Now, you want to talk about a big bang theory, there it is. You see, this present universe will explode like a nuclear blast. And the intense heat will melt all matter in it. And completely uncreate it. You know, it's interesting. Science says that you can't create matter and you can't uncreate matter. Can science be wrong? <laughs> because God says that's exactly what's going to happen. You see, as I study this, I just don't see how this could be understood in any other way. I mean, like I said, for years I've, just, I've always heard that and I just always went with that. But every now and again, just every now and again, I come across something and it just shakes me. And it's like, I've got to figure out for sure. It would have been much easier for me just to keep on going the way I've always been taught. The heaven and the earth fled away. And there was found no place for them. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. I saw the dead. So now John has seen this great white throne. He sees the judge sitting upon the throne. And now before the throne, he sees the dead. At the end of the millennium, the wicked will be annihilated during their uprising. We talked about that and how they will surround Jerusalem and Satan will have convinced them that they can overthrow God. And from heaven, it says, fire will come down and it will consume all of those rebellious people that have have rised up with Satan at that time. Believers at that time will be translated into their glorified bodies. Kind of like the rapture, kind of like Elijah, those who received their glorified bodies without death. Now these dead that we see before the throne are unbelievers. Not just these unbelievers that we see at the end of the millennium, but all unbelievers that have ever been upon the face of the earth over all time. They are all gathered before the throne. Now, we have many descriptions of this throughout Scripture. This is the resurrection of judgment in John 5, 29. It is the resurrection to disgrace and everlasting contempt in Daniel 12, 2. It is the resurrection of the wicked in Acts 24, 15. But I want to make something very clear. Absolutely no believer will before the, be before the great white throne judgment. This is not the judgment for believers. The believers will have gone through the judgment uh, the, 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 the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says this, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. John 3.18, the one who believes in him is not judged, the one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say unto you, the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. And then John saw, said, I saw the great and I saw the small. I saw the wealthy, I saw the poor. They will be be judged regardless of age, wealth, fame, power, or lack thereof. It literally will make no difference who you were in this world. It will only make difference the life you lived. Verse 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. So the court is called to order. And the first defendant is called from his or her holding cell. Every lost soul. Whoever perished at sea will be called from the greatest depths of the sea. Why did he point out the sea? That's just one of those interesting questions. Why why did he specifically speak of the sea? Maybe because people think that those who are lost at sea will be the hardest to retrieve. I don't know. But it says that the sea will regurgitate all of the dead. It will vomit out all of the wicked dead. They will be called from the greatest depths. Millions and millions of lost souls. I wonder how many souls are in the ocean. It has to be in the millions. I mean, Titanic alone was in the millions, right? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It was a big boat. A really big boat. Now, death represents all of the unrighteous that are on land. So you have those called out of the sea, and death represents all of those unrighteous who were dead on land. And Hades, now Hades is the equivalent of the Hebrew word Sheol, which is the realm of the dead. This is the place where the wicked are temporarily held now we've seen that when, when the parable was given, or the story, I don't believe it was a parable, I believe it was a true story, of the rich man and Lazarus. And you saw the rich man tormented and begging for Abraham to go and tell his family, to send Lazarus to put just a drop of water upon his tongue. So you see the suffering This is Hades. This is a temporary holding place until the final judgment can be made. Now, these will also receive their resurrected bodies at this time. We talk about many times about the righteous receiving their glorified bodies, but the wicked too will also receive a resurrected body that will last eternity. They will be judged according to their works. How scary would that be? How would you like to stand before Jehovah, the creator, who knows everything about you? He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows every wicked deed you've ever done in your life. And now you're going to pay for everything that you've done. That's where the wicked stand at this time. They will be judged by their thoughts, Psalms forty four twenty one, 21. Their secrets, Romans 2, 16. And Luke 8, 17. They will be judged by their words, Matthew 12, 37. And finally, it says they will be judged by their actions, Ecclesiastes 12, 14. And listen, as we look throughout Scripture, we're taught that there are different degrees of hell. Not everybody will suffer the same in hell. All will suffer in hell. All will be miserable in hell, but they will not all be equally miserable. We find that in Mark chapter 12, verse 38 and 40. In Luke chapter 12, verse 47 and 48. And again in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29. All talk about degrees of hell. You see, the good old boy who is a good person, who just never accepted Christ, who had never accepted uh, the Lord as their Savior, will not receive the same degree of punishment as, say, Hitler. There will be different degrees of suffering throughout eternity. You see, what we see here is it says the books were opened. The books were opened that had a very precise account of every deed they had done throughout their lives. And you think, man, that would take a long time. But see, this is the thing. Once we cross over into this, there will be no time. Time was created for us. Time was created for creation. Morning and evening were the first. That was the first time. And now that the earth has been uncreated and the universe has been uncreated, there is no need for time. We've got an eternity for all this judgment to take place. And it says they will be judged by every deed in that book. You see the scales. On one side, the good deeds. On the other side, the bad deeds. And then a perfect rendering of judgment will be placed upon each one of them. And they will then be cast into hell. They will join the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, and all of the demons for their final destiny. Verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, the grave and Hades, the temporary place of punishment, will now close shop. There will be no more need for the grave. There will be no more need for Hades so it too will be cast into hell no more need 22 times fire is used to describe eternal punishment in the second testament 22 times fire is described now this word here is the word Gehenna this was a valley in in Ben-Hinnon a place that's south of Jerusalem It's a place where they used to sacrifice their children back in the First Testament to other gods. At the time that John was writing this, Gehenna was a dump, a trash dump that burned 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It was infested with maggots, the stench was horrible. Sometimes they would take the bodies of criminals and throw them into the dump, Gehenna. This was the description that Yeshua gave us to describe hell. Mm. And I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 26 and 31, listen to this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people, listen to verse 31 it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God would you stand to your feet wow you know sometimes it's hard to go through sections like this sometimes we wish that we could go through and just take out the parts that we don't like. All right, Jay. Jay was telling us about a story that he'd heard about some of our, uh, what do we call them, Jay? Our founding fathers, that's what we call them. And how some of them have, had taken the Bible and cut out all the things that they didn't like to create a Bible that they liked. Well, if I was going to do that, this would be one of the sections I would cut out. But it's important that we know about these things because we all have friends. We all have family. We all have loved ones. I have children who are bound for this if something doesn't change. I've wept many a tear over this because I know that every breath is a gift from God. Every breath that they take is God's mercy upon them. I have co workers that I spend a lot of time with who are bound for an eternal hell if something doesn't change. We have a lot of responsibility with the people in our lives, a lot of responsibility. Father, thank you. Father, I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You've showed us, God, that not only are you a God of mercy, not only are you a God of grace, not only are you a forgiving God, but you're also a just God, that you are a righteous God. And God, because of that nature, Because of who you are, judgment must be made. And every human being has an opportunity. Every person has a choice to make. Some people make that choice by making no choice, but it's still a choice. And God, as we come to the end of this hard message as we come to the end of the judgment that is laid out before unbelievers God may it stir within us an urgency God as we look at what's going on in this world you gotta wonder just how much longer it can last and so father as we leave this house I thank you for the people that stand before me today God I love them And I want the blessings of God to be poured out upon them until their cup overflows. I pray that they walk out of here with their heads high because they are a child of the King. Keep us safe. Give us rest. And may you be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' very precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day.